Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I'm telling you, they ate that manna. They died. I turned this this few loaves into more bread cakes for you folks over here. You're still going to die. But I'm the bread of life. And if you eat me, you will not die. So he goes on to say in verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven, meaning himself. This is the bread so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread. I love that, underlying the word living. I'm the living bread. Essentially, the other is a bread that will not live and it will not produce life. Oh, it will for a little while, but you'll have to eat it again and again and again. When you eat of me, you never thirst again. You never hunger again. That came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live, how long? Forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. He's moving forward into something that's pretty dramatic now. Okay, we understand, you know, eating you, bread of life, maybe I'm hearing all of this stuff. (gasps) You said now to eat you is I eat in your flesh. Now, I want to get to that in a moment. But so many times expositors will go to this and they'll skip over this last little phrase. Go back to it again. He says, I love this. It's, It's so cool. He says here, I will give for the life of the world. Hold your place here and go back, if you will, to verse 35. He says, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me, he will not hunger and thirst. And he goes a little bit for verse 33, rather, I'm sorry. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. I love this about him. He's not only concerned for the Jews. He's not only concerned for the world. He's concerned for the world and all the future of the world. So in a sense, you know what you could put here, folks? Listen, listen. You could put your name there. He is concerned for your life in the world. Now, those of you that are new to Christianity and you're new to churches that are healthy, churches that are healthy are going to be concerned for everybody, every man, woman, boy, and girl. We're going to be concerned for the local. When Pastor Charlie is up here and he's talking about all the things that we're doing here as our events, these events are great events. They're just a little simpler way, an easier way, a more fun way that might bring the world to hear the gospel. But let me tell you, a church is not built on events. It's built on the word of God and you and me doing what we should be doing, inviting people to hear the gospel. Those events are catalytic catalytic tools that can be used to do it. You say, whoa, well, I don't think that's really biblical. Well, I don't know, but I, I just saw Jesus feed a bunch of people to get their attention so he could tell them a spiritual truth. So it's quite possible these same things are going on. It's for the world. Um, Carol and I um, were wonderfully accepted into your faith family as, as a member and a pastor here seven years ago last July. In the last seven years, I counted, we've added six missionaries in the last seven years. It's not because we're rich. It's not because we love more. We just kind of got it together and we're growing. Soon we're going to make an announcement. We're this close to make an announcement to you. It's already getting out that we've added another missionary just last week. They're being contacted. A little bit more paperwork needs to be done. And their main calling is just to reach, I love it, Jewish people. The good news, this man is clear in the gospel. He knows the word of God. He's an evangelist. He's doing the job. And while he is working with Jewish people, He sees the world. In fact, around here, we don't really call it local evangelism or global evangelism. We often refer to it as glocal evangelism. We go local and we go global. And that's what Jesus said here. So that's that's a point I wanted you not to miss. So let's go a little bit further in the passage. So he says, "It's, it's for the world. I want the whole world to know these things. 
It says, then the, Jew, then the Jews began to argue with one another again and saying, how can all this happen, blah, blah, blah. We'll talk about that in a moment. So again, the word you might have would be the word contentment. Jesus is superior. I know that he is. I can be content in Christ. He is not the mighty God. He is the almighty God. And when Jesus Christ satisfies, he satisfies completely. But there's also the act of humiliation. Remember a moment ago that I talked about eating the flesh? Now, he's bringing the aspect of the flesh in there because he's getting ready and soon, because he's getting soon to be crucified in the whole timeline of events in, in the Gospel of John. He's heading in that direction very soon. And so he's getting ready to go through that whole crucifixion explanation to his disciples because he's getting ready to paint the picture of what it's going to mean for him as the Messiah, who they thought was going to come in and start a new kingdom as this Messiah was going to go to a cross and die a horrible, humiliating death. It began to be humiliating right from the get-go because he's God who shouldn't have gone through that. It was humiliating because they stripped him in front of everybody as God. It was humiliating how they beat him. It was humiliating how they jammed the spikes into his hands. And It was humiliating when he was lifted up so more people in a distance could see this man, God, up there. It was humiliating as he went through all of that for you and me on the cross. We'll talk about that in a moment too. Yet we can be content. Watch this. Because he did it once and it was done and over with. Satisfied. Didn't have to die again. Satisfied. Content. Finished. So, let's go to the fifth word. The fifth word is the word conflict. I read about that a moment ago, how they're still hearing this, and now they're having more conflict with them. Look in verse uh, 52. It says, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Woo! A lot of grumblers out there, and it gets a little bit worse. So let's talk about the last word here. I'm, I'm moving quickly because I want, you to, I want to spend a little bit more time on the last word. The last word is the word connection. Connection. And what I want to do is I want to connect the physical to the spiritual, and then I'm going to try to connect this story with communion that we have here today and show you in the proper respect of what that's all about. So we're going to talk about connection, connection about Jesus Christ being the bread, the body, the blood. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ being God. We're going to connect it now to communion here, and we'll show you how it does connect or not. All right. Pick it up at verse 53. How can you eat flesh? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, there it is again, third time in the chapter, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Notice he keeps saying that again and again and again and again. So maybe it'd be good for me to pause and tell you this. When you die... If you've trusted Christ as Savior, I believe Scripture teaches that you are absent from your body and you are present with the Lord. There is no middle ground. There is no happy hunting ground. There's no purgatory or limbo or anything in between. You are just that quick. Most every funeral that I preach, and I'm asked to do the inurnment when it's an urn going in the ground, an internment when it's a body going into the ground. I'm looking at the people under the canopy. I say a lot of things, but in there there's a small phrase, and I'll tell them that what you're seeing right here is not the person. That person is made up of soul and spirit. The body, yes, dies, but the soul and spirit will exist forever. If they trusted Christ as Savior, it will exist forever in heaven, and they'll get a new body later on. If they have not trusted Christ, they will not spend eternity in heaven. Now, how I say that is very tender, very gracious. 
And it's couched with a lot of things because it's a very tender moment because it's the last they think they're going to see their loved one again. Although their loved one was gone a long time ago. I told you a, long, a while ago maybe that my wife says that when I'm dead you're going to say, that's just the shell of Stan, the real nut's gone, you know. Well, that may be the case. I'll be in heaven. So again, they're looking at all this. What is, what is going on with this story here? How in the world do I make all of this fit? I'm eating this and I'm drinking all of this. Verse 57 says, The living Father sent me. I, have, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down, referring to himself. Not as the fathers ate and died, which would be the man. And they ate that bread and they died. He who eats this bread, which would be me, will live forever. Let me now explain a little bit about the conflict that's going on. Remember, they're Jews. At the end of this chapter, you're going to read, where was Jesus actually teaching this? He was teaching it in a real synagogue in Capernaum where the Jews were gathered. And generally, these were the Jews that were really proud about their, their background, their religious system. And now they're hearing about they have to eat Jesus, who's claiming to be God, and they know the Old Testament. And the Old Testament forbade them to eat meat with blood in it. Have you ever heard the word kosher? Kosher means that all the blood is properly drained out of that meat so they can then eat it. It's kosher. Or now he says, not only that, to drink my, my blood. So now they're saying, this is horrible, this is cannibalism. Well, how do you fit all of this together when he is saying all of this? You have to connect it to the aspect of metaphor. All the way through, he kept talking about that bread and I'm the bread. Well, he is not really bread. He's not made up of wheat and he didn't go in some fire and he kind of swelled up like the doughboy. So he wasn't really, it's a metaphor. So when he's talking about eating the bread, you're eating my body, you're eating the blood. What is he saying here? He's saying this. When I eat something, I take it, I swallow it. When it goes into me, it just doesn't go in my mouth and then out. What it does is it goes into my stomach, all my juices digest it, and it sends all the nutrients of what I ate into my system so it becomes a whole part of me, if you know what I mean, and then the waste is discarded. Forget about that. Don't, don't go any further with that. The point is it's all coming into me and it becomes a part of me. So listen carefully. When he says believe, he emphasizes it is believe, but it's believe in me. Now he says eat and drink. Now come to your own conclusion. What is he saying? When you believe, it's not a head knowledge of me. Yeah, you've got to know me, you've got to come to me, but now you've got to believe in me, and believe in me means you are going to take all of me, flesh and blood, all together. Now add it to one more thought. When Jesus died on the cross, he died and his body died. Yes, Jesus God did die on the cross. He was dead, 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 dead for three days. But then because he was God, he was resurrected, given life. When he died on the cross, he didn't die of a heart attack. He didn't die out in the village somewhere. He died in a cross where his blood was shed. Now, give me a moment on the blood part. We will never take away the sanctity and the significance of the blood of Christ. We will continue singing that song. But I want you to know that the blood of Christ, because I believe he was God, he was perfect, a lamb without blemish, I believe he was healthy. I believe he never had a cold, a sore throat. I believe his blood, there was no impure bacteria in him. He was that pure. However, it wasn't merely the liquid that saved the person. What it was, was an identification, catch this, of a horrible death. When someone sheds their blood, it's horrible. Let me ask you this question. How do you like looking at someone else's blood when it's splattering all over the place? Does that make you feel kind of queasy? I don't like looking at blood. I hardly like looking at my own blood. 
Now, when you think of Jesus Christ, he didn't cut his finger. He was shredded on the cross. Now, stay with me. Stay with me now. If I take you all the way back to the Old Testament, those of you that are Old Testament people, you'll understand. Before Christ came to make the ultimate sacrifice, they sacrificed appropriate animals that passed the test to be without blemish. They were correct animals. When they were slain, they brought them into the temple. When they brought them into the temple, what did they do? They didn't smother the animals. They didn't throw a live animal into the fire. I don't want to get too graphic. But what they did is they slain the animal so that the blood would be draining out of them. Because Leviticus 17.11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now when you think of that, you might see pictures of here's a lamb and it's now being slain. It's like the Lamb of God, like Jesus Christ. If you took it back to the temple days, when they would do these sacrifices, these animals were coming in pretty much all the time. And there were dozens and hundreds of the. In fact, the temple is not a beautiful building like this. It was a butcher shop where the blood just drained everywhere where they had to have crevices in the rock floor to have the blood drain out of it. Now, why would they be so cruel? It's a precursor to Jesus Christ then who would die. So when he died, he paid the ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross as those animals were being sacrificed. They didn't save us, but it was pointing to the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. That takes us back to John chapter 1. So again, I want you to see all of that. So he's talking about, watch this. So when you believe in Christ, you are believing that Christ is God. He came down from heaven. He is God. You're believing that when Jesus died, he died completely. You believe in him as the one who shredded himself on the cross through the Romans, etc., and that his blood was spilled. And without that shedding of blood, in other words, if he wasn't cut up, and if he didn't bleed the way he bled, there was no shedding of blood. There'd be no forgiveness of sin. And that's the connection. Now, the big connection is, all right, what does that have to do with communion? In a few moments, we're almost there, we're going to have communion. Those of you that are new, you're going to have this beautiful plate passed to you. In it here we have wafers. These wafers you're going to know are not chunks of bread. Sometimes you see paintings of communion with chunks of bread. We've chosen to use these wafers and they have not blown up. The reason being is that leaven makes things puff up. In scripture sometimes leaven is referred to as sin. And since there was no sin in Christ we use unleavened bread. The second reason, the Jews in the Old Testament when they were ready for Passover they used unleavened bread. So since we're remembering Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, we will use unleavened bread, little wafers here. Okay, over here, this tray is going to have nice little cups in it, and there's going to be juice in here. And we do not use wine here. And the reason we do not use wine is because wine is fermented grape juice, which means it's purified grape juice. We choose to use this because it's the healthiest, it's the cleanest, it's the purest, the sweetest that we could have for you. In addition to that, when Jesus wanted to say the word wine because he turned the water into wine, we studied that now here in John, he would use that. When he talks about communion in the original languages, he didn't choose to use the word wine, he chose to use the word fruit of the vine. And so we know grapes, and like this would be the fruit of the vine. So we don't use wine. Now, I know some youth camps, they want to have pizza and Coke and call that communion in a service. I don't want to make, put you under the law. I don't know that you can't do that. I'm just saying symbolically, that's why we're choosing to use unleavened wafers and why we use the fruit of the vine. Now, I'm still going with this. 
there are, there are um, three different views that's often viewed about communion. One view is that when the religious leader, priest, Roman Catholic Church, when they're ready to give you communion, they believe that it is the re-sacrifice of Christ again. This is representing his blood and his body. He's died on the cross. But now they take it a step further. Based on this passage that we've just read, they will now use it and say, you must eat his body, you must drink his blood for you to have eternal life. So because of their special power, position, or whatever that priest has given to them by their almighty, they then say, this bread will now become the body of Christ. This bread, the, the juice will become the blood of Christ. And because you need to eat it and drink it, you need to do that to have eternal life. So that's why most frequently they will have communion. Every mass they'll have communion. Almost every service. When my uh, sister got married, she chose to marry Roman Catholic. They had communion at their marriage. Again, each time making sure that they had eternal life because they're eating the body and blood of Christ. Now, remember that. I'm going to come back and refute that in a moment. I'm going to give you the second one. There's another religion, often the Lutherans, and it depends on what church and what pastor that Lutheran church has. depends on how orthodox they are to their faith. They will say that it's not really the body and blood of Christ. But they will say... It's called consubstantiation. Con means with. All right, so now Christ will be here. No, you're not going to eat him, but it's so significant that you eat his body and you drink his blood that he is now here. And it becomes a very important liturgical service with the presence of God right there. All right, the third, and I won't get into this, it will be cannibalism. It's you're actually now you're eating this and you're drinking that, so you're actually eating the body of Christ, and that's okay. And I don't know where that is. Maybe it's in some jungle belief system that's really warped. But the point of the matter is, is that what this passage is really teaching? I'd like to give you three reasons why I don't think, I know you cannot use this passage that we've studied today to represent communion. What we're going to do today has nothing to do with the communion today, has nothing to do with this passage. First of all, When Jesus chose to use the word flesh, he used a Greek word for the word flesh. He did it in this context. When he talked about communion, he did not use that Greek word. He chose a different one. He just used the word body. Secondly, when he was talking about communion and the eating of all of this kind of stuff here, he would not have you do that because it would not be communion. Watch this. That passage that I taught you in John chapter 6 today, communion wasn't even thought of people. Jesus had it in his mind that future down the road he talked about communion. So if you're going to use this for communion, you have to use it ahead of the fact before he ever taught about communion, which makes no sense. So it can't be communion because he's talking about this before communion and he didn't say during the communion experience that you're actually eating his body, drinking his blood. And here's the third. I think why those are hills I'll spill blood on. This one I will die on. Since I do not believe Scripture teaches that this will become his body and his blood, I can go ahead and take and eat this. But if you believe that you are now eating the body of Christ and you're drinking his blood because it becomes this or somehow he makes it this way by his presence here in some mystical way, if you believe that, then you know what you... In order to have eternal life, by the way. If you believe that so you can have sins forgiven, eternal life, then what you are saying is that you must take communion in order to have eternal life. Now that can be easily refuted 
when he says, it is not the taking of communion. It is by faith in him. And I've already gone over verse after verse, even in the context. You come to him, you behold him, you believe, you believe in him, you believe in him, you believe in him three times. So the idea is not believing that this becomes his body and blood. You're believing in him as God who then came to pay for the sins of the world. So now what do we do with all of this stuff? Well, I think, first of all, have you fully received Christ? I I brought this up here. I don't know if it's still here. Here it is. You see this water right here? Stanley brings me this water every week. He brings the other two pastors their water too. And I'm grateful for you, Stanley. Thank you so much. And I especially appreciate when you bring me ice cream. But anyway, thank you for this. Now he brought this to me and I believe that that's water. And so right now I have water. But that doesn't mean that I have taken this water and fully embraced it. It's when I pop the top and I begin to drink it. I'm now believing that this is really water in here and I'm believing that this is meant for me. I am hungry or thirsty, I should say, for this water and I'm gonna take it in. Have you received it? Or are you still looking at the bottle and saying, I wonder if that's really water in there. What's that bottle made out of? I wonder where he got this water here. Is it really a, will it really be the thing that I really need? Maybe I don't need water, I need a soda right now. Oh, a beer would be better. Why are you going on all this? You know, I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna embrace it. So it's not just believing that it exists. It's now trusting in it but you're taking it into you. That's the idea that it's a, it's a whole reception. The second, I think, is also important. It's not just that I'm going to receive this as being totally of me, but I also want to do it for the world. I, I think it needs to be known. I think that's number three in your notes there, but let me get my, my, my outline here so I keep you in order here. <clears throat> Does he live inside of you? Oh, here it is. <clears throat> do you continue to feed on Christ? Now, let me make this clear. When I stated that, I'm not saying that I have to keep drinking him in order to stay saved. I keep drinking him because he satisfies me, quenches my thirst. I want more of him. We sing a song around here sometimes that says, I'm desperate for God. It's kind of a, a, a neat song, but I'm desperate for him, but once I have him, I have him, but even though I have him, I just kind of want more of him. Here's another way to say it. You remember the Lay's potato chip commercial? It said, I bet you can't what? Eat just one. Well, you ate one, you drank him, but you got to have more of him. That's hard to imagine, but I hope you want more of him. And, then, and the last is, do you think he's worth making known? I, I, I want people to have Jesus Christ. Could not you agree with me? that those people that are all these other different religions and isms and spasms and whatever they might be out there, that they still look so lost after they think they got it. They experience this, I, need, I, I don't have enough, I, I'm not there yet. They just are kind of wandering around. They got to keep the thing going in them. They're always worried, fearful, have I done enough? Well, I think the best thing for you and me to do is to take this water and the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and share it with as many people as you can. I live, as you well know, in Kuleo'o, most of you do, and I have to come down Kalani Highway into church. It's always weird, but they do all the marathons, they do all the bikes, they do all the, what do you call it, uh, triathlons. They seem to start over there somewhere near Alamoan or maybe Waikiki. They wind their way around Diamond Head, then they go down the highway and up over to the other side. And it's because our, our part of the island that, you, that live there, it's a flat area, so it's easy for a while to run and jog. How many, how many have seen them jogging around there? Have you ever seen them do that? What's interesting is we're coming into church, the, first, uh, the, the faster runners are going by, but along the other side of the road, the, the uh, Mackay side of it, 
Uh, there's a bunch of people there. They're all standing as the runners are going by. They're holding up water for them. You ever see them do that? And as they get the water, they grab the water, they take a swig of it, and they throw the cup down. I'm always thinking, someone's going to trip on that. You know, they're drinking it and dropping it, drinking it and dropping it. I want to be the person who's taking the water of life and the bread of life. And as people are running by at work, running by the places that I go, some of them don't even realize how thirsty they are and how lost they are. And I want to bring them that message. So this communion today, this just bread, it's just juice. Doesn't become his body, doesn't become his blood. But it does represent it. So we're using it to remember his body and his blood that was shed for us 2,000 years ago, knowing that he's going to come back again. So when this is passed to you in just a matter of moments now, I want you to take this and I want you to think about this Christ who claimed to be the bread of life that you've already trusted him and now you're eating this in remembrance of something that he did and something that you've already connected to. But you know he's coming again and until he does, you want to be faithful at sharing that message with others. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.